0: amen thank you very much our sister betty thank you for opening uh in such a powerful way i ho- hope you can all hear me because the previous speaker has been uh the network has not been very good so i hope we can all hear me am i audible am i there somebody say i can hear you amen I can hear you. Okay. I can hear you. Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. It's such an honor. It's such a privilege to share His Word. I don't take this opportunity for for granted. Uh, I really thank God for the uh, Cathedral administration that that found it, you know, in their hearts to give me an opportunity this evening to share from his word. The scripture has been read to us uh, from Psalm 19, verse 1 to 6. We will delve right into the word of God. It's such an exciting uh, subject we are going to deal with, but it's also very deep and very wide. And I pray that in the few minutes that we'll share The Lord will speak something into our hearts. There will be a deposit inside uh, of our hearts, inside our spirits, that God will illuminate our hearts and our minds to be able to see God for who he is. The passage that we have just read is like pointing to us that are on this call and those that will be coming on to this call, that we have no excuse but to, but to surrender in our hearts and in our, in our whole being with the knowledge that truly there is a God and that this God deserves all our worship. He deserves all the glory. Because as the scripture even begins by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Just imagine that. So loaded a, a verse from this portion of scripture that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. I mean, every morning you wake up, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. I mean, it's, it's something that is undeniable. In the evening, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Even when it's going to rain, you look at the skies and by any chance, once there is a setting sun in through the rays going through those clouds, the orange, the the, the, the redness, everything, the painting is just heavenly. It really demonstrates that there is a God and that the heavens, the clouds and the skies that we see, are giving glory to God. I mean, where can I I meet a finite being? Where can I hide from the fact that truly there is a God and that there is nothing else I can do but to fall down and worship him? No wonder the heading or the topic we are going to discuss, the revelation of his glory. Isaiah said that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he expresses what he saw. To paraphrase it, at, at one point in that scripture, he says, and the train of his robe fills the temple. You know, he saw God glorified on his throne. The year that King Uzziah died. There was a revelation of the glory of God. And this is just but a start. I can imagine when we all go to glory and we are taken up by our God, we will, we will every moment of our lives we will begin to see the glory of God and every facet of God's glory will inevitably bring us down on our knees and will prostrate before the Lord and declare his glory, his awesomeness, his greatness, power, honor, glory. We will give unto the Lord, you know, with with our hearts willingly prostrated before the Lord because there is a facet of his glory we'll be experiencing every moment of our lives glorious child of God people of God friends let's begin now to glorify God to give him that glory because he deserves all this glory our God is awesome he's awesome now the English dictionary defines glory I try to look at this word glory because yes in our our, our biblical classes we, we define glory And in our day-to-day language as believers, we use the word glory. Actually, in this month, we're talking about the glory of God. See the glory of God. How do we experience the glory of God? This evening, we're talking about the revelation of his glory, the glory of God revealed. But what is this word glory? Glory, glory, glory. And so as I looked at it, I, I discovered that, the diction defines glory as honor admiration or distinction accorded by some by by common consent to a person or thing so it's it, out of this out of this definition there is honor there is admiration there is distinction i like that word distinction it's like that glory distinction. Distinguishes. The glory distinguishes. It distinguishes the child of God. The glory of God cannot be made up. You cannot fabricate the glory because it, 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 it is God's nature himself. So the glory distinguishes accorded by common consent to a person or thing. This distinction is accorded to a person or a thing. And in this case, we're looking at the the God, the God that we serve, the mighty God. The dictionary also says it is sometimes translated as honor, praise, worship. The word denotes the manifested perfection of God's character. And I talked about God, the person of the God that we talk about, the nature of God. Here we are talking about the character of God. So when you talk about glory, you are you are in, in, in essence, you are talking about the manifested perfection of God's character. And in this, in this package of his character, we are looking at his splendor, his brightness, his magnificence his excellence, his preeminence, his dignity. Oh, these are powerful words. His grace and his majesty. Awesome, awesome. You're talking about the majesty of our God. It is a most glorious and excellent exalted state. It is the revelation and manifestation of all that God has and all that God is. So when you talk about the glory of God, you are talking about his excellence and his exalted state. When you look at God exalted, and there's a revelation of his manifested glory, there is no way. You cannot praise him. You cannot honor him. You cannot worship him. There is no way. So this is the manifestation of of all that God has and all that God is when you talk about glory. So to make himself known to us, you know, all as I was talking about and describing this word glory, it is so heavy. You know, it, it is such a heavy package that cannot be, cannot be broken down easily. It cannot be consumed easily in a flash of a second. No. If you are talking about megabytes, I think it is in gigabytes. It is even more than that. It is bigger. So it is like, For God to break it down for our finite minds, our human minds, he made known himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, therefore, is the embodiment of this glory we are talking about. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. That's what we read in the scriptures. In Christ, God manifested the glory, His goodness in such a way that it became tangible to our human senses. So we could now behold His glory. He dwelt among us so we could we could as, as it were, we were able now to see, to begin to fathom the glory of God in our senses, the invisible, became to us the visible form that dwelt among us, one that we could behold. So the invisible God in his glory now became visible. All that in order that each one of us, that the human race, humanity, that had fallen from the grace of God, the glory of God in the Garden of Eden, So that humanity would be able now to see, to behold. So Jesus Christ is the greatest expression of God's glory. Jesus, imagine this, he's the greatest expression of God's glory. So if you're talking about the glory of God, Jesus, hallelujah, he is the greatest expression of God's glory. In Christ, we receive his mind and therefore the mind of God. So, in Christ, there is a full package of the glory of God. We behold the invisible and we begin to see it in tangible form, the glory of God. So, there is no way you can put Jesus out of this picture. Because he is the embodiment of all that we have. He's the sum total of what all that we have talked about. The glory of God. Now note this. Very, very important. You can walk in God's glory, but you are not meant to share in God's glory. You're not meant to share in his glory. He does not share his glory with another. That statement Sums up the commandment. You shall have no other gods beside me. Oh my God. I repeat that statement. It says you can walk in God's glory. Which means you can operate in the glory of God. Hmm? You can experience the glory of God. But you are not meant to share. In his glory which means everything that you do everything that I do must point back to the author as as, as our sister Beth was praying she said he is perfect in all his ways so that statement causes you to give him the glory that statement causes you to give him all the praise and all the honor every time we do something in the presence of God, That glory ultimately belongs to God. Ultimately, ultimately must go back to God quickly, quickly. When when you lead a powerful session of prayer and intercession, a powerful session of worship and praise, that glory must go back to God. It must. It must because he's the author. He is, the, he is the giver. He is, he is so jealous. He, he, he tolerates no rival. He does not share his glory with another. So we must give him back all that glory immediately. See, he told Isaiah in Isaiah 42, verse 8, he said, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. This is God talking to Isaiah. Through Isaiah, he's saying, the Lord is my name, my glory, I give it to no other, and neither does my praise to any idol, any idol. And idols may not necessarily be those things that we know commonly as idols, but even the things that are around us that keep heaping praise over us, those things immediately, I I mean, they, they begin to see us as their idols. They make us their idols. But God does not share his glory, as we have seen in that scripture. God said that he would not give his glory to anyone. No. Our God is stingy. For lack of a better word, he's stingy with his glory. He does not want anyone to share with him. Why? Because the glory of God is his identity. All-powerful. God does not share his glory with another because his glory is his identity. He doesn't want you and me to share in his glory. I know some of us would say we are God's image and we are his likeness. Yes, yes, we are. The scripture says that in the book of Genesis. But it is to be noted that the image has been in existence Before we were created. It simply means. God gave us the grace. To put on his image. Does that therefore mean. That the image is ours? No. It isn't ours. It's the Lord's image. So yes. You were created in his image. And in his likeness. But remember. This image and likeness was before you were. It was before you were. So this image is God himself. And by his grace, you are putting on that image. So don't take the glory. It goes back to him. Because he's the author. He's the author. Likewise, he created glory by himself and for himself himself to glory in his creations and work. We have seen the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So God created glory for himself and by himself. So no wonder, even the heavens that he created, they give the glory back to him because he created them by himself and for himself. So they give him back the glory. Ultimately they give him back the glory. His works give him back the glory. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 it says thou art worthy all Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created they are and they are created they were created god created all things and it was for his pleasure that they were created so they were created by him and for him that's why they return that glory back to him he alone is worthy It is God that is worthy to receive glory. So you and I are not meant to share his glory. In fact, in fact, listen to this, very important. God will not allow you and me to do this. He will not. He will not. Sometimes we can think that God is slow to act because we are not seeing anything happening But let me tell you, child of God, people of God and friends of God, God will not allow you to share in his glory. No, he cannot. We know what happened to Herod. When the people that had assembled said his voice is like over God. And he did not quickly return the glory to God. What happened to him immediately? He was struck he was struck by God and he was eaten by worms immediately. Now let us take a case study. So as I was looking at this text, that the person that came to me immediately was Moses, Moses, Moses. And so we'll take a case study of Moses and the revelation of God's glory in the book of Exodus chapter 33. In chapter thirty-four, Moses stands before God and daringly requests to see the glory of God, His glory, something that would identify God's God God's greatness. See, I believe God was delighted to answer what Moses had requested for, and you see. He even decided to to make a, 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 a place for Moses so that he would witness this glory. So God was so gracious that he did not argue with Moses. I think they had become friends to that extent. But God said that for the sake of keeping my servant alive, my friend alive, let me make a place for him. Let me make a place for him, which we, which we commonly call the cleft of a rock. And the Bible says there he hid him. Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear that guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? See, God could have answered Moses in numerous ways. God would have answered Moses in numerous ways when he asked him, I want to know your glory. I want to see your glory. For instance, he could have told him, Moses, do you see the stars? Just look up and see and look at the sky, how they twinkle and reflect a faint witness to my infinite creative power. No, no, but God did not say that. He did not respond that to Moses. For instance, he would have also told him, I mean, he would have pointed him to the beauty of the sunset, you know, and painted the skies as we know them at sunset. But the Lord did not say that. There are many ways that God could have described the weight of his worth. But do you notice how God revealed it to Moses? He chose to define his glory through a self-revelation. God chose to reveal and define his glory to Moses through revealing himself. Self-revelation. A revelation comprised of eight statements regarding God his character and nature. That is what I deduce out of this revelation in Exodus 34, 6 to 7. Eight of them, eight characters of God and his nature. Because in this, God was revealing himself to Moses. Number one, he said, first, he said, notice that God declared his name to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. So number one, God declares his name to Moses. And in order to emphasize its unparalleled glory, he uttered it twice, the Lord, the Lord. In so doing, His proclamation affirmed that he was the one true supreme being who had no equal. Praise God. Praise God for that. There is no other God but Jehovah. So as he was saying, as he was revealing himself, By emphasizing his name to Moses and proclaiming it twice, he was was telling Moses that, look, I am the one, the one. I am true and I am supreme. And there is no equal. With me, there is no equal. He is Jehovah. Jehovah. He alone is God. He is Jehovah. Number two, God then testifies of his mercy. We see after saying the Lord, the Lord, he says, a God merciful. Oh, this is powerful. A God merciful and gracious. A God merciful and gracious. What is mercy? Mercy is, a, is is an it's a deliberate act of God. It is not feeling sorry for another, and it is not having mere sympathy for someone. Mercy is a purposed, intentional, deliberate act of God. So God is intentional. God is purposeful, but God is also deliberate in his mercy. Praise the Lord. So it is an act of God that is deliberate, intentional, and purposeful. So in what ways does God intentionally demonstrate his mercy? It manifests when he extends his protection. His provision, his guidance, and presence toward us. That is how God expresses, and that's how he manifests his intention of mercy. Through provision, through guidance, through protection, through his presence. That is how he does it. Lamentations 3, verse 23 to 24. Because of the Lord's great love. Same as the Hebrew word for the word mercy. We are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Hallelujah. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The wondrous meaning of this passage tells us that God's mercy cannot be exhausted. He is infinite in his virtue. He is from everlasting to everlasting. So everlasting is not just enough, but to everlasting. He's from ever, as everlasting begins, he is there. As everlasting is in the process, he is there. Even when everlasting will cease, God will still be there. Praise the Lord. God is from Everlasting to everlasting, powerful hallelujah. Number three, we said there are eight attributes there that God talks about in that passage of Exodus 34 6 to 7. The third one is the third aspect of God's self declaration to Moses regards the glory of His grace, the glory of His grace, hallelujah. He is Merciful, but he's also gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He lets us know in verses 6, he says that he is a wondrously gracious God. And grace is something no one can live without. It's something you cannot live without. What is grace? It is God's free and deserved gift of goodness. As sinners, we do nothing to deserve grace. As sinners, we do nothing to deserve grace. God simply bestows it from the depth of who he is. That is the grace of God. He is gracious, abounding in love it is gracious number four God said he is slow to anger in other words he is ever pre- patient with us God is ever patient with us he looks at us and says yes I will be patient with them I will be patient with them we, we, we sin against him we, we go against his ways. We deliberately sin against him, but he's always patient with us. So it says he's slow to anger. In other words, he's patient with us. I'm so glad God doesn't spank us or destroy us every time we stumble or commit a grievous sin. God is wondrously long-suffering. Oh, we thank you. I mean, I wouldn't be here today. How many times have sinned against God today? How many times? I, I, I let talk to God. But God is long-suffering. And be. he protects us. Yeah. us. Number five. On, um, Number five. On, uh, We're getting some interruptions. Okay, the fifth is the Lord then made a pronouncement of his steadfast love to Moses. He made a pronouncement of his steadfast love. He says, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is not, he's not somebody who lasts for just a while his love is not conditional. His love does not weather. It's not timed. It is not conditioned by the weather patterns. It is not just seasonal. He abounds in love. And he is steadfast. He has perfect Unwavering, unquenchable love toward mankind. And he has made a covenant of love toward his chosen people that promises never to withdraw it. That is something to shout about. God's promises will never be withdrawn from you, child of God. He's unwavering. He's unquenchable in his love toward us. He is perfect in all his ways. And he promises never to withdraw it. Number six. This is coupled with super abounding love. He says he is abounding in steadfast love. God also told Moses. That he was steadfast in faithfulness. That means he is absolutely reliable. God is absolutely reliable. He is reliable. I mean, think about how many times you've been unreliable. Think about how many times you've been unfaithful. Think about it. But God is absolutely reliable, He is trustworthy. Just and, and and is full of justice. He's a just God. And each one of us can trust him. Each one of us can depend on him. Praise the Lord. Number seven. God told Moses that he forgives iniquity and transgression of sin. You can see it in verse 7. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God forgives. The word forgive here describes how God totally removes the guilt, the stain, and memory of our sin. Isn't that powerful? God totally. Removes the guilt, the stain, and memory of our sin. Isn't it wonderful that our Lord wants to be known for this quality? Who of us in our humanness totally forgets, totally leaves, and completely erases from memory? what has been done to you by your immediate friend. Totally. It takes the grace of God, people. It takes the grace of God. But see this. See this. God does this. And he wants us to know him for this quality. And that is why he went an extra mile to send his only begotten son so that there will be a total cleansing and a reconciliation back to him. All the guilt that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden as they hid from the Lord, all the sin and the darkness and the disappointment and eventually the excuses that came from him, from them. God sent his son. He was quick and swift by sending his own son so that he may deal with this with this situation so that you and I may be reconciled back to him. Number eight, God cautioned Moses. That His glory also deals with a judgment of sin. Now, somebody will say, "Really, you have talked of God being just." Yes, I have, because it's in the scriptures. He He says, "Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin." But listen, that scripture continues, says, "But who will by no means clear the guilty?" Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, lest you and I take God for granted and we think he is, you know, some boss somewhere in some organization or he has become your neighbor somewhere, listen to what God says. Listen, God cautions Moses that his glory also deals with a judgment of sin. That is why he says in his word in verse 8 that he will by no means clear the guilty. The creator of the universe is filled with love. He is compassionate. He is merciful and gracious. But he is also the just judge of all the earth. And his holiness demands the judgment of sin. This is why he sent Jesus into the world. To bear the judgment of sin. That is primarily why he sent Jesus. Because his nature is holiness. That is why there is judgment. Because of his nature, he's a holy God. That's why his judgment is there. So now, like it is written in Psalm 19, verse one to six, in response to God's glory revealed, this is how Moses responded to God's self-revelation. And this is how we are supposed to respond. When we see the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the nature of God, his majesty. We cannot but respond. And that is where worship comes. That is where worship comes in. Number one, what happens? And what happened to Moses? We read in Exodus chapter 34, verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. So, what is the response number one? Worship. Worship. Response number one? Worship. This is what God wants from us. God wants worship from us, people. When we observe an aspect of God's glory... We should acknowledge it. Praise him for it. Worship him for it. Has God been been merciful to you? Worship him. Has God saved you? Worship him. Has God healed you and delivered you or answered your prayers? Worship him. Worship him. And have you seen me saying there's a song that needs to be played for you to worship him? No. I'm only talking about the nature of God. His nature just gets you to worship him. So worship him. Number two, what does it do? What does it provoke in us? Listen, it also also prompts a public testimony to God's glory. When God revealed himself to Moses in this powerful way, Moses had an obligation to share this incredible testimony with others. So, number one, worship. Number two, testimony. You and I have the same obligation, people. As we behold his glory, we are commissioned to reveal it to others. As Christian people, our duty is to testify to the wonders of God's grace. To his goodness, his character, his power. Our God is good. Our God is merciful. Our God is just, truthful, gracious, compassionate. This is what others must hear. This is what people must hear. And as you do this, you're testifying about his greatness. Isaiah 66, verse 19, shows us the duty of believers. The Bible says it is that we may proclaim his glory among the nations. That sounds similar to the Great Commission in the New Testament, which tells, which tells you and me to proclaim the gospel to all creation, to the ends of the world. So number one, worship. Number two, testimony. Number three, God wants to manifest his glory upon us and through us. As we do this, as we fulfill our mandates, when we worship him, when we testify of him, that glory God wants now to manifest. He wants to boast about his nature. He wants to boast about his presence. And that is why we say, Lord, let your glory fill this place. Let your glory come down. Let your glory be in this place. May we swim in your glory, your Shekinah glory. And so God wants to manifest his glory upon us and through us. Exodus 34, verse 29. He says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Verse thirty. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. In other words, Moses was radiant with God's glory. The glory of God, where Moses was, rubbed onto the face of Moses. My goodness. My goodness. My goodness. goodness. I'm really praying for a time When we will worship our God, testify of of his goodness, and and let his glory just come down and rub on us. Oh my goodness. Let his glory just come and envelop us. That is my prayer. So, the glory, the fellowship that Moses had with God in his presence resulted into the glory rubbing onto the face, the countenance of Moses now became the glory of God. In other words, now God was now revealed to to Aaron on the face of Moses. The glory of God. Oh, we praise God for that. We praise God for that. We must get to an extent where we say, as I conclude, I want God's glory manifested through my life today. I have reached a point that I cannot be totally content without the glory and the presence of God. That should be our yearning. We must get to a place where we attract the glory of God This means that we must be ready to do things differently than our ordinary way of doing things. If we are going to be the kind that will say, I want God's glory manifest through my life today. hmm, I have reached a point in my life, Lord, where I cannot totally, you know, I mean, I'm not content without your glory. We must be ready to do things different. Then the glory of God will find its abode among us. And finally, the Lord has commissioned us to take this gospel to the world. To reveal his glory to the world. To provide a clear testimony of God's grace. You and I have a choice we have a choice to keep it to ourselves and the world perishes, or we can seek to present Christ to the world through the presence, the power, and the glory of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when there is a manifestation of God's divine presence, it will always produce a testimony for Christ beyond anything we could even copy. The glory of God distinguishes itself. It will distinguish the church that will be ready to reach out to the world and reveal the glory of God to the nations and to the generations in which we live today. That is my prayer this evening. That we will yearn for the manifestation, for the revealed glory of God. That we will not just be content with what we do every day. No, we'll want something different. And let me tell you, this will attract the glory of God. It will attract the glory of God in our midst. And surely, 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 surely the glory of God will be revealed among us in Jesus' name, amen, and God bless you.